At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here in the Troy Noons and Absolute Magician Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Casillo. Uh, who else is on the line? Hey, John, you got uh, Brian Savat here. Hey, Brian, what's going on? Not that much, how are you? Good, good. Um, I know... Dan's going to be joining us shortly, but we can kind of jump in in the meantime. Uh, before we start talking about Syracuse and Boston College, figured talk about uh, last night's game for a little bit at least. I personally had a blast in the second half, but the first half was uh, was mildly terrifying. I know uh, you must have loved all the uh, Eagles love that uh, Jameis Winston was throwing at you guys all night. Yeah, it was a it was a interesting experiment to uh, root for a team that you really don't like, but uh, you're kind of hoping that the conference, you know, pulls it out at the very least, just to end the uh, the SEC's reign of terror. <laughs> I think that was everybody's kind of big uh, big draw. I know I was talking to an office full of people that are unaffiliated to both schools, and pretty much everyone was rooting for Florida State just because of that. So. I mean, we'll regret this at some point when FSU's rattled off like their fifth or sixth straight Atlantic Division title. But I think <laughs> for right now, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, marginally beneficial to programs like BC and Syracuse. Uh, you know, you can use it on the recruiting trail. You can say that you play the defending national champs every year, and um, uh, I think it's a uh, it's it's good for the ACC. You know. Uh, if you would ask the the average college football fan who you know which conference would be the one that breaks the uh, the SEC's run of uh, BCS national championships, I don't think many would have picked uh, picked the ACC. So uh, it was cool to see. Um, even though uh, I think that particular Florida State team isn't isn't very likable. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually buy that. I think it's uh, this FSU team. I think has gone through a lot of ups and downs. Um, without speculating on off the field stuff. Um I, I just I do think that they've they haven't been like we've seen a lot of teams like run through a schedule like like they did, but I wouldn't necessarily say that Florida State um scored a lot of fans with the style points that they racked up. Which I think was like very different from um you know, a team like Miami or I mean even like some of the Alabama teams that have that have run through their schedules. I mean, not undefeated in most cases, but I do feel like those teams at least like pick up you know fans as they go. And, and I I do feel this Florida State team kind of um, you know just kind of had to had to operate with the Knowles fan base and just the Knowles fan base, and everyone else was kind of you know anywhere else who were along for the ride at the end, it was solely because of conference affiliation and wanting to you know hear the SEC chance finally die down a bit. Yeah, I mean, certainly the off-field issues with Winston, I think, contributed to, you know, uh, Florida State kind of having uh, uh, a bad reputation or you kind of feel bad for, like, rooting for them. Uh, I think that's part of it. Um, but the style points, I think, it's tough because, I mean, they they completely whack some teams like, uh, you know, uh, Syracuse and Wake. You know Maryland when they were a top twenty-five team, um, but I'm not sure like how that would be different. Like I know you said style points, Sean, but like I'm I'm trying to think of some of the games that I watched back, and like it's almost hard like not to score. It's almost as insulting as kind of you know going for uh, another score if you're rushing the ball. You know you're not doing something egregious like throwing the ball in the fourth, late in the fourth quarter. Um, but I mean that team just had so many weapons. It reminds me a lot of the the 2001 uh, Miami team. I know we're both 
uh, pretty familiar with, um, <laughs> which ironically enough, uh, BC put a scare into uh, up in Chestnut Hill that year. Um, so, you know, and I think some BC fans were, were kind of uh, uh, a little annoyed at the whole, all the talking points last night about, you know, moral victories with, with playing Florida State close this year. Um but you know, I don't. I also don't think we were the ones that were bringing it up. It seemed to be a point, uh, a discussion point on ESPN, like almost every uh, network. Um, so, but I mean, when you're two and ten the year before, um, I think you can take uh, all the moral victories you can get. Yeah, and I mean, when the uh, when the Heisman Trophy winner is willing to name drop you, and it is funny how ESPN's narrative system works, like. They, every chance they got, I feel like they knocked BC. But then at the same time, they also evoked them as the only close game they played in. They laughed at Winston when he brought up BC as the other close game they played in. Like to me, it's just it's, you know the typical way that. And I even saw last night um, where Adazio was getting laughed at by everybody for focusing on offensive line play. Like to be honest, I was focusing in on offensive line play because in the beginning of the game, FSU was a line getting deep the way it was. And that Auburn's offensive line holding up the way it was, was was the difference maker. So to me, like I really didn't understand, like if you cover college football, like why why that's something worth laughing at. Yeah, uh, and I guess you know there was the comment at the end of the game about Winston was asked about you know, how this game was similar to the Boston College game, um, and you know he basically said, yeah, it was like the BC game where we're down seventeen to three in the second quarter. Uh, and Chris Fowler is like really dismissive. Um, that was tough to to see. And you know, and just monitoring Twitter last night, uh, you know, Auburn and SEC, SEC fans went nuts after Winston kind of associated BC with uh, with Auburn. So that was uh, pretty interesting as well. And uh, Dan, you with us? Uh, I'm here. Uh, you, you started talking about offensive line play, so I decided I had to show up. <laughs> <laughs> it was just uh just some brief notes about uh about last night's game before we uh before we move on to basketball, you know. It it was fun. I was really worried there just like and I, I didn't even like mean to be. I wasn't trying to force it or anything, but I totally had that like weird SEC type uh conference thing come over me last night and it was pretty fun. Um maybe that's why they do it. Maybe they just really enjoy rooting for teams that they hate for 11 months. Um, I don't hate Florida State though. I, I I actually like this Florida State team, and I'm I'm very happy they they pulled it out. And I'm just so I was so tired of the SEC, <laughs> and it was very relieving that we have someone new and, and interesting win. I, I think that's right. And uh, John and I were talking about that before uh, before you joined. Is like uh, I was talking to some of the other uh, DC interruption writers, and we're just like. Watching the game, the game got amazing in the second in the second half. But like the first half, when uh, Florida State was down big, we we're like, "This this just sucks." Like, because um, uh, you seem to like Florida State a little bit. I don't I don't generally like Florida State. Um, so it was like double whammy of rooting for a team that you don't really like, and then they're getting crushed. And you just kind of fast forward to the end of the game when you can hear the SEC chants going on again and the reign of the SEC going off into, you know, forever because the BCS is going away. So it was good to see, you know, kind of the SEC get knocked off the pedestal a little bit, um, even if it was Florida State. Yeah, I think it's more for Florida State. Like, I just, uh, you know, all the off-the-field stuff aside, like, I think Jameis is pretty likable. And then Jimbo obviously won a ton of points with Syracuse fans um, when he went to go visit Julian Whitman in the hospital after our game with them. Uh, so I just think this individual Florida State team is, is you know, fa- a fairly easy one to root for if you're going to root for a, you know, national power, which I usually find pretty boring. Um, but no, it, it's definitely uh, it, it. It was just relieving that, you know, we didn't have to see because like when that team started out and it was what 21 to three or whatever, like I was just like, all right, well, this is just only going to feed that awful SEC bias storyline. Not that it's not fair to them. I mean they. They have won, They did win seven in a row, but it just was so exhausting to hear that uh, you know anyone who didn't play in the SEC didn't play good football, and that's just blatantly not true. Well, we can we can all agree that if that if they hadn't pulled off that fake punt near the end of the second quarter, then that game was toast. That was I thought that was a great call. 
I, I, thought, I, I mean, I thought it was a great call. I thought that was a, that was a turning point there. Was because if you know what, if they hadn't converted there, or even if they had punted, the, actually punted the ball away, I just don't. The momentum that Auburn had and the confidence that they had. I mean, Florida State looked broken, and, and to me, like that was just a really gutsy call by Fisher. And you know, I, I think he didn't have to make a lot of calls like that all year because they didn't play in any close games for the most part. And I just think like play doing that. Um, you know, they're in such a big spot, like, was just, you know, the type of thing that's going to, that is going to be brought up for years, like, in his coaching legacy, and, like, Winston, obviously, leading down the field towards the end is going to be something that's brought up in his, his legacy. I mean, uh, the rare Heisman winner who delivers in the national title game, of late, at least. Yeah, definitely. It was absolutely really funny. I don't know if you guys switched over to the, uh, I'm sure, actually, you probably, uh, you might have, but the, the coaching thing on on ESPN News, how, like, all of them called it immediately. As soon as they saw the punt lineup, they're like, oh, they're going to fake it here. So, like, I guess that's why Kevin Sumlin and Steve Adazi are good coaches. They know uh, exactly when that's coming. <laughs> on that note, I guess we'll switch to basketball. Um, before we dive into the game, just technically Syracuse is to play this game that they're currently wrapping up. I was worried a little bit for it, right? And then BC uh, still has, what, a couple games? No, just one. One game before us. We've had this game in the North Carolina game before. So uh, we're new around here, Brian. So what, what, is the, uh, what is the feeling overall about the ACC this season? They kind of look awful to me, like outside of like two or three teams. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, unfortunately I've been trying to avoid uh, looking at ACC basketball this year just because <laughs> – BC is terrible, um, but I don't know. I don't see that dominant team. You know, maybe it's maybe it's Syracuse, um, but you guys have been you guys have had some close close calls last a uh, couple games, and I guess early season too, right? You know, Pittsburgh looks strong. I'm not sure if that's going to hold up. They played a pretty weak schedule, um, and there's a whole bunch of like mediocre teams, right? Like you have in Carolina, but you know. They they both have you know a couple more losses than they expect to have at this point in the year, um, and the, I'm struggling to see like a you know you look at the the league table and you have two ranked teams in the top 25 this week. That's that's kind of awful for a, you know a conference that prides itself on you know basketball and having you know 15 teams you have two of them ranked. Um, it's a little little surprising in the early going. Yeah, I mean, I think, and Dan, you know, feel free to weigh in here. Like, I feel like for years, you know, we were used to, after BC left, like, the Big East just kind of, you know, like, a couple teams would challenge themselves in the non-conference. But for the most part, you'd have, like, a few losses going in, and then everyone would, like, beat the hell out of each other for, you know, two and a half months. And now I feel like here, like, the ACC has become, like, you know, a morphed version of the of the old Big East, and teams are going to beat the hell out of each other. But the problem is, they don't have as much leeway to take those hits because you look at you know like potential bubble teams like a ten and four NC State and a nine and four Florida State, and what looks like a, a bubble team and eleven and three Wake Forest. Like these are all teams that, like can't really afford to take the you know. Like if they go, if they went nine and nine after doing what they were supposed to do in the non-conference, you know that's still a decent season. You look at twenty-four and nine in the regular season, or well, maybe like twenty-two and nine, depending on how many games you put on the slate. And like as long as you won a game or two in, well, you won a game or two in the ACC tournament, and as long as you beat like, you know, one of the teams above you in the standings, like you're probably going to get a large bid. And right now, like I'm looking at this table and. I don't really see how more than like five, maybe six teams are are getting in. And Dan, you know, feel free to jump in if you feel differently. Yeah, I, I, I'm a bit worried as a Syracuse fan. Uh, maybe it's irrational, but Syracuse and Duke have been the only teams that have really stuck out at all. And even though some of these ACC teams are starting to play pretty well. Um, Pitt, you know, has been pretty good. Wake's been surprising. Uh, Notre Dame seems to be getting it going. They did so little in the out-of-conference that it seems like everyone's just going to be basically banking on a Syracuse or a Duke or maybe a North Carolina win if they start getting it, you know, more consistent uh, in order to get that, that big win they need for the tournament. So 
Um, it's probably not. I mean, I don't know why they play harder than they normally would, but it almost scares me a little bit that we're just going to be taking like everyone's absolute best punch because there's only two or three notable wins to find in the ACC. So we get like a Miami keeping it really close or something like that. So that that I don't know. I'm a little worried. Both as a Syracuse fan and as a you know fan of the, the league, I want more than four teams making the tournament. So it's a bit disconcerting. Um, but hopefully it'll shake itself out. But that was the nice thing about the Big East. You could go find a big win every week. And even if it's just against, like, Cincinnati, Cincinnati's a very solid win. Um, in the ACC, you know, unless you're beating one of the top four or five teams, you're beating someone who's just not very good. Yeah, I think you guys bring up a really good point. I, I haven't actually thought of it. Uh, until now, but you know this does look like very much like the 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 early 2000s Big East, much more than it does you know the, the last couple of years uh, Big East that you guys are used to with with uh, the additions from Conference USA, right? Um, and I think part of that is just because there there there's a there's a distinct you know second tier in the ACC that's really kind of underachieved over the last couple of years, so. Uh, and that's that's really that tier that you really count on uh, for for turning like a a win over a marginal team to being you know a quality win or a team against uh, a program from the upper half of the conference. So you know I would I would point to to programs like Maryland and and Virginia and Georgia Tech, uh, NC State too that that have really kind of struggled uh, since 2000, 2004, 2005 when. Uh, the league added Miami and, and Virginia Tech, and then you know BC a year later. Um, that's really the, the the kind of second tier that's been a little bit underachieving in the last couple of years, um, and I think it really hurts you know kind of the, the the ability for the league to put you know the max number of teams in the tournament every year is that you know those programs are, are sort of underachieving relative to you know somewhat modest expectations based on you know past performance before. Um, any of these big East schools kind of join the conference. I mean, it's funny how, um, you know, over on the blog, on news magician and otherwise, where, you know, we spend years like hating on the ACC and kind of laughing at like a very top heavy setup. And for some reason we decided to like pretend that didn't happen when we showed up and think that, I mean, Brian, I know you and I talked about it like probably a year ago about, like, I, was, and I remember coming on DC Interruption thinking, like, ACC is going to get, like, eight to ten bids. <laughs> and, and you and a lot of the other guys over there just kind of, like, laughing, going, like, there's no way in hell. And, and now here we are, like, we're probably going to struggle for six. I mean, I, I don't know why myself and a lot of others just kind of assumed that, like, the tier two just wouldn't, like, plant itself on the top of the league, and then everybody else would kind of, you know, improve. It just seems like we just kind of, you know, plop down on top of Duke and North Carolina and then everybody else like just hasn't hasn't risen to the occasion. I mean there's still time. Pitt other than that one year where like the bottom fell out like two seasons ago has been a perennial like top twenty to twenty five team. And I mean Notre Dame is Notre Dame is just a really tough team to play on the road and they're just if any team is gonna pull off like that wild upset over someone in either the A C C tournament or during the regular season, it's gonna be them. I mean they already beat Duke. I wouldn't doubt it if they beat us too on the road. Um, and yeah, like I don't, I don't really get this league yet. And and I, I don't know if that just comes with time or if Brian, if this is something that you kind of like just accepted at this point, or this is just how the league goes. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I'm I'm recalling maybe a year or two ago, I took a basically I took a, the number of conference wins uh, each program had over the last. Uh, I don't. I guess the years after the first expansion, right? Um, and kind of plotted them on a on a line graph, and then showed where the there have been coaching changes. And you know, it's a it's a bit of an unfair comparison because you have Duke and Shashevsky's been there forever, right? Um, and Roy Roy Williams has been at North Carolina for a while now too. Um, but I think coaching stability plays a big part of this. So you know, you look at the teams that have struggled uh, recently. Um, you know, teams like Georgia Tech, teams like uh, NC State that have had, you know, a number of coaching changes since 2004, 2005. Um, and, I, and I definitely think that plays a part of it. You know, Maryland, too, is another one uh, that's had a, a coaching change uh, going from a coach that's been there for a long time to, you know, a relative outsider to the program. So I definitely think there's a period of adjustment for some of those programs. I, I, unfortunately, the, the, 
those coaching changes have happened at um, programs that you're really counting on to kind of carry the ACC's uh, banner when it comes to basketball. So NC State, Georgia Tech, you know, Maryland, uh, to a lesser extent Virginia, um, those are the programs that you really need to, to, to be those quality wins. Um, and they just haven't been in the last couple of years. Um, so, so, the, so the, the, the net result, right, is you have Duke and you have, uh, North Carolina at the top. Um, and then you have a bunch of upstarts, right? So, you know, you have Florida State winning the league two years ago. You have Miami last year. Um, you know, BC in the, in its first year in the league, uh, came in at a bucket of, of beating Duke in the final, um, at the ACC tournament. So um, it's been interesting, and I think the the the, the revolving door at, at head coach uh, for a number of these programs that you really um, expect to pick up the slack um, has been a big cause of, of sort of the, the lackluster performance uh, of the league as a whole over the last couple of years. Dan, were you trying to chime in earlier? Um, I don't think so, but I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I think you saw it. I mean, we even saw it with the uh, with the with the Big East when we were there. I mean, the teams that can't hold down coaches or, or struggle to find a good one, uh, Trough, DePaul, Trough, um, just totally. I mean, it's it's just so hard, and that's why I think I, I do think there's some hope for some of these ACC teams. Obviously, we saw what Miami did last year, and I think Laranega is an incredibly good coach. They just lost their six best players from last year, so I think there are set kind of you know different circumstances for why some teams are struggling and some aren't, but. Hopefully, um, I don't know, stupid ESPN. Uh, I don't know why ESPN is auto ads, auto video ads. Um, the worst. Uh, no, hopefully everyone can, you know, we have we have pretty stable programs entering the league with Syracuse and Pitt and Notre Dame, so hopefully that helps, you know, kind of spread that that sense. But obviously in this first year, you know, it's kind of hard to, to really see how it's going to work out. I mean, you bring up a good point there, Dan. I, I mean – We've talked about it on the blog, but like I say, in those years after the, after the um, you know national title, there was just this. The Big East suddenly went into like this weird malaise um, where Georgetown wasn't playing all that well, we weren't playing all that well, Villanova wasn't playing all that well, and like I mean, I this is going to turn into UConn shaming, and it I mean as it normally does anyway, but like <laughs> with UConn just kind of sitting atop the pile, like the Big East just lacked. Something and like that's when we were kind. Of, I think like that's when the league, even as a basketball league, was kind of getting knocked around in the public a little bit. Like that's I think that one year that we had eight teams and like six of them got knocked out in like the first round or first two rounds or whatever. And and I think you know it goes to show that like having those anchor programs and not just having those anchor programs, but then having that second tier. Like when Syracuse and Georgetown were good in in you know Big East 2.0. Like, that was great, but we also needed Villanova and UConn and, like, Marquette to be, like, really solid top 25 programs. I think, like, that's where the ACC's identity crisis is kind of kind of lying at this point. And I hope that, you know, some of these schools, especially, like, these state schools with big budgets, um, kind of, you know, like, really make that push. I mean, Maryland can, you know, get out of here. But everybody else, like... I'm really excited to see Louisville because I think that's going to be that nice balancing point for us. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting, John. I mean, we always look at you know the teams that are coming in here. Uh, definitely, we have high expectations for Syracuse. Um, you know, who knows with Pittsburgh's week schedule whether they'll keep it up in league play. So far, uh, the results are positive, right? Um, and Notre Dame, so. You know that's three strong programs. I think Louisville is, is isn't going to miss a beat, um, and in many ways it's like the exact opposite of of the football experiment when you add these teams to the league and then you know they struggle right out of the gate. Um, I think I definitely think this this recent wave of expansion is really going to be a, a boost to hopefully a boost to the, the basketball product because it's it's definitely um, not been where it needs to be over the last. Uh, a couple of years ever since you know, BC, uh, Miami, and Virginia Tech uh, joined the league. Makes sense. I guess with that, we'll uh, celebrate Syracuse's 20-point win tonight because that, uh, that was a little nerve-wracking for a few. And 
Brian, I know you haven't followed us as closely, but Dan, would you agree that we really haven't played a complete game since the Indiana game? Because I'm starting to get a little nervous. Uh, I'm trying. I'm looking at the schedule now. Um, you're probably right. Uh, I mean, we blew up Binghamton pretty bad. This wasn't a bad game, though. I mean, Virginia Tech hit some stupid threes, but and that's all they do apparently is shoot awful threes. <laughs> I saw them like pull up from like 40 out or something. Yeah, and he knocked it down. Like, he hit it from, like, mid-court logo. Um, I, I think Virginia Tech got about eight rebounds today. Uh, so, it was. I don't know. I wasn't too worried about this game. Uh, obviously, I don't think we shot that well, and, and it took us a little while, to, and we missed a bunch of, like, bunnies and free throws. But, um, uh, yeah, that's a normal Syracuse thing. We we definitely – and I, I've seen some people challenge the whole notion of, like, playing up and down to your opponent. But if anyone does that at Syracuse, uh, they just generally don't do it poorly enough to, to lose. Um, so, I don't know. I try not to get too worried about it. All right. And then this is a score update. We'll find out what happens in this one before we end the podcast. Michigan State's beating Ohio State right now, so that'll at least hopefully put to rest all of the questions about Ohio State potentially being a number one team or taking number two from us or in Ron Morris's bracket. Well, take <laughs> no, the that he fills out. Where does he have them at? Is he the one who he has, has them, a, like, way double digits, actually? He has us at six, and he has Ohio State at, like, either number one in Twitch. Oh, really? I, there's someone who has Ohio State at, like, 16 or something, or they did last week. That's not Like, some of those... I, I, I do I think... More than the, the ballots, it's unbelievable, some of these people. I think there's certain ballots that should actually lose their, lose their voting rights. I think, like, if you vote outside a certain... Like, outside the, the accepted like, value of a team. I think at some point you lose your voting rights. It's just like the Baseball Hall of Fame and things like that. Like, I feel like all of those should be subject to something, some some sort of a checks and balances. I don't know what's worse, though. Him, like, hiding behind this, like, ridiculous-sounding system uh, that he brought up, I think, when he was on with Axe a couple of years ago when they, when they, when he didn't rank Syracuse going into the season or something, or this last, like, couple of weeks where he's just stopped doing it. He's just been filling out the same bracket for, like, three weeks. Like, I'm not sure what I'm more offended by, the fact that he doesn't see fit to, like, actually do his job or when he was doing his job really poorly. Brian, do you guys come into contact with Mr. Morris at all down in uh, South Carolina? Who's this? Sorry, guys. Ron Morris, the worst AP validator that's ever been. No. Uh, Kim Title last time, BC. Basketball's ranked in the top 25. <laughs> he's the, if, For the long he's the and short of it. Constant battles with Steve Spurrier as well. He's yeah, just he, a total. Uh, Dan was alluding to earlier, he pretty much put together like this convoluted like ranking system based on returning seniors, like his supposed <laughs> quality winning. Well, he basically just, he, he has some weird combination and then he will prejudge a team, and then no matter what happens for, like, three months, he will not move them to the appropriate place. <laughs> and then and then these last couple of weeks, he sent the same ballot in three weeks in a row. Sounds like the coach's poll. <laughs> well, the coach's poll is a farce. And it's just like, to think that if people ever consider coaches being, like, Oh yeah, you know those guys who have teams that have an invested interest in the outcome here, like that they wouldn't play favorites and possibly skew results. I mean, I guess this is college sports for you. I just I've never understood why the coaches' poll is ever given the uh, the, the the place in the world it is. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember a couple of years ago uh, one of the Big East coaches ranking like a ridiculous number of Big East teams, like like two extra that weren't. Like getting that many votes, I could be completely wrong, but I, like I'm pretty certain that happened. So it does make I don't I don't think a lot of coaches would do too many like ridiculous things with their vote, but it, it, that is open. Like it should definitely happen. What happened in college football a few years ago? Didn't like Gary Patterson like rank Cincinnati like ninth when like TCU and Cincinnati were like around like the top five, and then like somebody else like ranked Cincinnati like 15th. TCU was like dropped out of somebody's ballot completely. <laughs> just because, like, teams were just trying to, like, do what they could to pick up enough votes. Ridiculous. But with that, uh, halftime. And uh, for those uninitiated, 
That means we're talking about beer. So, uh, so Brian, what beer, is, uh, or just any type of alcohol, if that's what you're into, uh, what have you been drinking for the past week? Uh, so, uh, over the last week, I haven't been drinking much of anything. Uh, I think that's mostly the result of a little, uh, too much alcohol over the holidays. So trying to, uh, recover a little bit. Um, but I think, uh, towards the end, so I, I moved out to the, uh, Bay Area in August. Um, so, uh, a couple times late in the fall, I was visiting the, uh, the Lagunitas brewery up in, uh, Petaluma. Um, so one good beer that I've been, uh, uh, I really like is their IPA that they have. Um, and there's, they also have an ale called, uh, Little Something Something, uh, which is pretty good, um, pretty good beer as well. Um, they have a really cool, uh, tap room up there. So you can go up there and kind of have lunch and, uh, sample a bunch of their, uh, brews that they have. So it's a pretty good time. I'm actually a big fan of their stuff. I know Dan is too. They, uh. They actually have a pretty good distribution. I've been to, I've been up there once, and I did a fair amount. I drank a fair amount of their stuff when I was up in the Bay. But I, I would say, as much as I do love the uh, San Diego and LA beer scene down here, um, there there are certain parts of the Bay Area beer scene that uh, that I do I do very much miss. Most notably, Russian River. Hmm. No, I can't say I've tried, I've tried that. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I say where the hell are they? They Santa Rosa? Yeah, they're up in Santa Rosa. So if you ever get a chance to head over there, I would highly recommend, especially in February when uh, they'll be having their limited edition Pliny the Younger on tap. And it only comes out once a year. It's annually rated the best beer in the world. So safe. try to find yourself there if you can. Yeah, the only place and- you can get the anywhere near us are, uh, is like Philadelphia. There's one place. And I'm not going to – I like beer a lot, but I'm not going to Philadelphia to buy a beer. A beer so, <laughs> unfortunately – Then if I, I can know. find several bottles, I'll try to mail you one this time around. Ooh, let's do that. Uh, we'll, we'll trade. I'll get you some East Coast stuff. Um, but, yeah, me uh, – I haven't, haven't allowed to drink recently, but we haven't done the podcast in a while, so I have some things that we haven't talked about. Um, for whatever reason, one of the liquor stores I go to a lot near me, uh, well, not for whatever reason, it's a summer ale, so they're trying to get rid of it, and they bought way too much of it, apparently. Uh, Newcastle apparently makes more beers than just their brown ale, uh, and they had a, a summer which was called Bombshell, which um, was, you know, for more or less, it was still like a, a brown ale, but it had a nice, like, summer kick to it, and while it was completely out of season, it was actually really good, and they were selling it for, like, two twelves for, like, Fifteen dollars or something stupid. So I bought a bunch of that, um, and it's it's really it's really good beer. Uh, I don't know if I'll save any of it for the summer when I'm supposed to be drinking it, but I'm not complaining about it. Um, I also had Captain Lawrence's uh, Winter Rye a couple weeks ago, which was really good if you enjoy rye beers, which I do off and on a bit. And then uh, Deviant Dales uh, by Oscar Blues. I like most of the stuff they put out, so that was you know always a nice one to get. Very nice. Another, I'm actually, uh, oh, go for it, Brian. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, so I went down to the, uh, unfortunately, I went down to the bowl game uh, in Shreveport. Uh, and I, I drove out from uh, Fort Worth, and uh, one of the beers we took with us was uh, Revolver Brewing. Uh, they make this uh, blood and honey beer. Um, it's like a wheat ale, but it was uh, really good kind of like breakfast beer because uh, the game was uh, 1130 uh, Central Time. Um, pretty good beer. Unfortunately, we drove all that all that way. It's about two and a half, three hours to uh, to Shreveport from Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, and forgot a bottle opener. So we kind of had to go uh, begging and pleading uh, uh, to other tailgaters to uh, open them up. But it was a really good beer. Um, kind of like a little um, uh, kind of has like a citrusy, like an or- a blood orange kind of zest to it. Um, really good, really good beer in the morning. You know, perfect for for early morning tailgate. Hmm, I have to check that one out the next time I'm down in Texas, which, knock on wood, is hopefully early April. Hey, I might be in Texas in early April. Oh, what a coincidence! <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Not to jump to conclusions or anything. 
Is something going on in Texas in April? I don't know. <laughs> so it's, um, I'll be. I'll, I'll hopefully be in Philadelphia in April, um, but not Texas. <laughs> Are you in the uh, Frozen Four? Yeah, the Frozen Four is in uh, Philadelphia this year. So, um, and uh, I'm originally from Southern New Jersey, so. Uh, definitely an excuse to uh, to go home and visit the family um, and catch the games. You know, I'll probably go whether or not um, BC is there. Um, so I've had tickets for a couple of years now. Uh, it'll be my first one since uh, 04. 04 is the last time Boston Boston hosted it. And I'll be hosting it again in uh, in 15. Nice. Maybe one day if we ever get a hockey team, we'll, uh, we'll be there to join you. <laughs> yeah, you guys could get on that. That would be good. Uh, I think we're still um, the BC women's hockey fans are still smarting from uh, from that upset loss that uh, the, the Q's women uh, handed us. Listen, for a like six year old program, our women's hockey team is actually pretty good. I used to go to a couple of those games every year. They're actually a lot of fun if you can get, like, a couple of friends over and as much alcohol as you can fit in a water bottle. We had a good time. Occasionally, they'd bring sour citrus out, too, which is pretty neat. Like, they just pass them in the corner. Uh, and the place, Tennedy uh, holds, like, maybe 100 people. And it, it was, that, that was, out of, like, all the non-revenue sports besides lacrosse, like, I think women's hockey was probably my favorite to go to. So I'm in full support of, of people going out to see the, the Syracuse women. Are we considering lacrosse a non-revenue sport? I feel like that's where we struggle. The fact that I think lacrosse is a revenue sport for us, and I so because like of the money we spend on it, really? I don't know if it makes. I don't know if it's if it, what it's considered at Syracuse. I just meant like out of the football, basketball. Oh no, sure. I mean nationally, I'm sure it's not a revenue sport, but I mean for us, I feel I feel like it might be. If we're looking at Title Nine, I don't. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Hockey is a non-rabbit BC. I think that school loses a little bit of money uh, on the program every year. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't at Syracuse. They don't have to travel. They travel a lot. Um, they're not full scholarship either. So, and I know they they get scholarships. I know Manny sponsors one of the full scholarships for Syracuse lacrosse, which is why you should always shop at Manny's and not Shirt World. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know how it's what's considered, but um, it's probably pretty close. To breaking even. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. They do. They so do get charge past the rest. Charge for most of them. Ah. So. Get past the rest of halftime. I'll just go through some beers. It's been a while, so I have a lot, but I'll try to skim it down where possible. Uh, Dan, I know you mentioned Dale's. I'm actually going to try to get to uh, to get to Oscar Blues um, when I'm in uh, the Denver, Colorado Springs area in May. So, very much looking forward to that. Um, what do I have? I was down in San Diego, so I got to have a lot of pretty awesome stuff. Um, had a stone smoke porter, but with vanilla bean. It was a, it was a nice holiday uh, special edition. Really enjoyed that. Um, a buddy of mine from Texas had sent me a, a bunch of beers from down there, so I got to try an atrial rubicite uh, raspberry ale. That was like a really, really nice sour. Dan, I know you, and I know you can like fruit beers in you know measured amounts, and and, and this fruit beer is definitely worth your uh, definitely worth your while if you get down there. Yeah, raspberries are always either like entirely too sweet or pretty good, so it's kind of throwing throwing darts with those. But I'll if I you know ever out that way, I'll definitely look for it. Yeah, I would definitely recommend. And then. Uh, I was down in, well, when I was down in San Diego, I got to check out some stuff from uh, Pizza Port, which is one of the probably bigger uh, craft breweries down there. And they have a bunch of pizza slash brewer, pizza places slash breweries. Um, and Carl's Dad also has a bottle shop. I got to try uh, Swami's IPA and uh, Grapefruit Puncher, which is a grapefruit IPA and probably one of the better beers I've had in a while. That just sounds ridiculous. It was just so freaking awesome. Like, like all those all those citrus notes that you get out of a really good IPA, they were all there, but with this like overwhelming grapefruit that just tasted fantastic. And if I had just been there all day, I probably would have drank ten to fifteen. 
Easy. <laughs> and been dead, but that's the side. Uh, yeah, sometimes you just gotta go for it and see what happens. Yep. <laughs> um, I guess going into now the main topic of our podcast. Um, Brian, we're gonna put you on the spot here. What the hell is going on with PC basketball? Um, before we get to that, I just saw uh, it just went final. So NC State beat Notre Dame on the road, 77-70. I have no idea what's going on with this league. Um, (laughs) Playing pretty well recently, though, so I'm not terribly shocked by that. No, NC State's you know had some good good early season wins. So um, they also lost with some uh, like awful team, if I recall, though. Lost to NC Central. I mean, they beat oh, Red. Uh, they beat Northwestern pretty good. Um, they beat they lost to Cincinnati, lost to NC Central, and lost to Mizzou and Pitt. Yeah. So I can't figure out this league. Um, anyway, BC, we are four and eleven, um, ostensibly terrible, and we've lost four straight. We've lost seven of eight. Um, with the only win over that stretch, a 17-point win over a Division II program. So, well, not the university where my brother used to go. Oh, nice. So <laughs> I, I'm still confused. I guess there are some RPI benefits to playing a Division II school. Um, not that BC needs them at this point, uh, but the only – so if – that wasn't the reason. The only other reason for scheduling that game, I think, is because uh, Donahue got his coaching head start at FLU, uh before he went on to, uh, the, you know, um, working in the Penn schools and then uh, off to Cornell. So BC is terrible. Um, they're four and eleven, and. Um, they 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 made a game against Clemson. They're coming off a, a two point loss to Clemson that they um, Olivier Hanlon got to the line um, and missed uh, the front end uh, of his free throws, so he he intentionally missed the second. Um, and they lost. Um, they they dug themselves a huge hole in the in the first half. So um, they showed some some flashes in the second half, but you know a loss is a loss, and they have just four wins on the year. So I think the the biggest issue, um, you know, it's been it's been uh, you know obviously disappointing uh, the start, um, but I think part of that is because of uh, some heightened expectations based on the way BC finished uh, last year. So you know they won something like six of the last ten to end the season after you know, starting off pretty slow and kind of meandering through the season. Um, they they notched a, a win in the ACC tournament over the. I think it was the nine seed, which Georgia Tech, um, and then put a scare into Miami uh, and route to the Canes winning their first ACC title. So, you know, expectations were a little high. Uh, BC returns a ton of experience. They they essentially returned 90 plus minutes, you know, points, everything. Um, so the the start's obviously been been really disappointing. Um, one of the things Donahue tried to do this year was to um, make the schedule very difficult um, in the thought that, you know, a, a so-so performance in non-conference play um, against a difficult slate would, would kind of help uh, BC um, BC's tournament resume um, a bit by the time they, they got to um, ACC play. The problem with that was that, you know, there's only a couple of uh, games at home, so we've only had four non-conference home games. Um, and BC's been a, a pretty bad road neutral team uh, under Donahue over the last couple of years. So uh, BC lost the uh, opener to Providence. They dropped it in overtime, and it's kind of been downhill since. Um, a lot of confidence issues um, and – you know, the, the biggest issue has been on the defensive side of the floor. So, you know, Donahue's teams have never been known to play defense, but um, it's particularly bad this year. I think early season the narrative was the new hand check rules and some of the, the new uh, rule changes used to kind of increase scoring uh, were hurting the team. 
Um, but I think, you know, that's kind of worn off and it's just been, um, uh, it's kind of been a, a, a bit of a death spiral as far as you know, the team doesn't play defense, they don't rebound, uh, they lose confidence with some of these toss-up games that they end up losing uh, on the road. Um, and I'm not sure how they're going to get out of it. So we have one game before uh, the Syracuse game. It's uh, January 11th against um, at Castle against the Hokies. I know they, they just wrapped up with Syracuse. Uh, before you know, hosting you guys uh, on the 13th. So you know, I'm not optimistic about this the Syracuse game. I think it's probably going to be a bloodbath um, unless DC somehow manages to to catch uh, you know Syracuse not playing a complete game. I know you guys mentioned that they haven't played a complete game, but um, if you can catch Syracuse sleeping a little bit, um, they might be able to make it a game. Uh, but it's really been the defense and and rebounding. Um, and I think a general lack of confidence has really, uh, you know, sunk the, the Eagles so far this season. They're probably a better team than 4-11. and um, You know, a lot of the teams in the league, you know, we mentioned Pittsburgh is one that played a, a pretty weak plate. Uh, Clemson's another one that, that has double-digit wins right now and, and played a pretty pretty soft uh, non-conference schedule. So I think the, the schedule is part of it, but um, – you know, really just not a very good uh, basketball program right now. And uh, if things keep going the way that I think they're going to go, we're probably looking at uh, dumping Donahue and, and looking for a new coach next year. I mean, that's a surprise. I mean, I guess, like, I didn't even spend enough time, like, looking over your schedule. Like, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I think we we saw the UConn game as, like, the the real marquee and maybe, like, VCU when the year first started anyway. But, like, looking at this, I mean, Harvard's probably a tournament team. VCU can still be a tournament team. Maryland might be. Um, Washington's got a shot. UConn, I mean, Toledo could even end up being a tournament team. I think they're probably the best team in the MAC. Like, UMass is going to be probably one of the, uh, like, a top four, maybe five seeds. So, like, I mean, this, this is just daunting. Like, like, looking up and down the schedule. And, I mean, I... It's almost crazy. I feel like looking at the rest of the ACC schedule, I think you guys might you guys might have a easier slate ahead than the slate that you have behind you at this point. That's interesting. I never thought of that, but that's that's almost true. Um, you know, Donahue definitely bit off more than he could chew. I think he pointed to Boise State as an example last year that that scheduled really tough in non-conference play, uh, and really parlayed that into an NCAA tournament berth. Um, I, when it first came out, I thought it was far too skewed towards the difficult side. I think there was, you know, a balance there that he could have maintained with a little more home games, uh, a little more fluff. Um, you know, but but the schedule is only part of it. I mean, this team, you know, beat the Division II team, uh, had, had needed overtime to beat Sacred Heart, um, and, you know, beat uh, Florida Atlantic by three points. I mean, that's not even, – even the wins aren't very uh, confidence-building or inspiring at this point. Um, you know, the best win is, a, is an 11-point victory against Washington in the consolation of the 2K Sports Classic. You know, it's, a, it's an okay win, but Washington's rebuilding. Um, you know, and, and like BC, they don't play like a defense either. So uh, it's hard to, hard to say. Um, um, and really, I think the hallmark of this team has been that they they've just really dug themselves into huge first half deficits and then you know struggle to to kind of come out of it. They're lacking that confidence to to kind of own a game and 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 you know, uh, you know I think they're also struggling to have people step up and kind of um, you know assert themselves on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, one thing I, w- I will mention is that they're getting back Dennis Clifford, who's their seven-foot uh, center. Um, so he's he's been battling knee issues kind of uh, his entire career. So he's missed the first uh, uh, 14 or so games. He just came back in the Clemson game. I think it'll be a boost on the on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and the other the other added benefit of getting Clifford back is that we can move uh, Ryan Anderson, who's a pretty talented forward. Um, back to his more natural position at, at power forward. Um, so that'll help. Um, but, you know, if I'm being honest, I, I don't see many more wins uh, on the schedule. 
we get Syracuse twice, obviously. Those are probably two losses. Um, and we get Notre Dame twice. Um, so, unfortunately, the way the, the, the home and away uh, ACC schedule works is that we get, you know, two of the better teams in the league um, for four games. Um, that should be counterbalanced somewhat by getting, you know, Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech twice. Um, but that's a, a pretty formidable uh, gauntlet on top of, you know, all these um, prospective tournament teams that they've already played in non-conference play. Here's another Clipper information. I know I actually just read that this morning, but getting a little more background there. Um, Dan, looking over BC and like knowing what we know about Syracuse, is there is there one thing in particular that you'd say stands out um, as, as as a way that BC could potentially expose Syracuse, especially given like our attention for slow stockets over the last like month or so? Um. I would say having a random player go crazy from three is the is the answer. Um, I don't know much about BC's three point shooting prowess. Um, although it's, it looks like they have four, two guys at forty percent, but uh, whoever the least likely decent three point shooter to go for like twenty points, play that guy a lot <laughs> and see if Behind takes a little too long to get the guys rotating over to him. Otherwise, Brian, you guys know, have a scrappy I, white guy by chance? Yes. If oh. you have scrappy white people, scrappy white people will do some damage to Syracuse. I think that's in our entire <laughs> roster, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> no, but, I mean, uh, so it's, it's an interesting point. You know, I think BC struggled to, to find that this year. Um, so Donahue's uh, offense over at BC Interruption has been affectionately described as a uh, windshield wiper offense. Essentially, you have one guy in the post, and you have four, four crappy white guys throwing the ball around the perimeter looking for the open shot. Um, you know, Donahue likes to rec- recruit a lot of guards, you know, guys that can shoot the three, um, and he likes to um, have guys on the court that can all shoot three. So even the, you know, the six foot eleven uh, freshman, Will McGarity, uh, he's a center. He can shoot threes. Um, Really, it's predicated on kind of finding the open look from three. Uh, and if it's not there, then, you know, dribble drive penetrating and, and getting your playmakers like Hanlon and Anderson involved, uh, you know, down low. So it, it could happen. I don't see it happening. I think part of the problem this year is that uh, the Donahue shooters have struggled. And I think maybe to a man, they've all regressed in some ways from their play you know, towards the second half of last year. Um, so we're, we're still sort of waiting for that uh, kind of key performance so that one player to go off. That was Hanlon in the uh, Georgia Tech game in the ACC championship, or ACC tournament, rather. Um, he scored something like 42 points and just kind of, like, asserted himself and owned that game. You know, that's that's a performance that we haven't really seen this year. Um even if Hanlon's scoring output is is up, I would argue that you know with the new hand check rules and and with um, some of the opportunities he's had, he he should probably be scoring more, and the, the offense should go more through him. Um, and it just hasn't been the case this year. See, this is this is where I feel like I struggle with that with BCC basketball with football. I'd really dove myself like full bore in. I feel the basketball, and learning new things every day about the ACC. I did remember that outburst from last uh, last year's ACC tournament, though. I was impressed. I don't necessarily think I've been as impressed with anything Syracuse has done of late, though I'm sure I'll be eviscerated in the comments section for that because if Matt McCluskey's not around. I managed to, I managed to play the role of wet blanket, even if for just a few minutes. Um, Dan and we have five minutes left, and probably only about two until that condescending British woman shows up and starts telling us we don't have much time. So, uh, your thoughts, the quick thoughts on, Virgin, on the Virginia Tech win tonight, um, and then some even quicker thoughts on North Carolina and Boston College, the uh, two games we have upcoming. Uh, it was. Virginia Tech was like the the baseline standard Syracuse uh, performance for this year. Um, maybe a little less of a headache at times than than some of the other games have been. But you know, CJ got his 17, and 
Grant played really well, although he could have shot better from the field. Ennis was great, and Tony hit some big shots. It was, you know, kind of normal stuff. Um, Virginia Tech's not good. Uh, we are rebound. We're not a good rebounding team. Like we're not a great rebounding team, and we are rebounding them 41 to 25, which is all you really need to know. Um, and they just take so many three pointers. Uh, so I wasn't very impressed with them. Uh, getting a 20 point win on the road, ever, like at any point, is a really good win, even though there was no one at the arena. Um, so happy with that. Uh, happy with the 15-0 start. Happy that Ohio State is down three with a second left and Michigan State <laughs> line. Um, also, completely apropos of nothing, but everyone who's listening, uh, even though this is you know going up tomorrow morning, uh, needs to go to UCF's athletic Twitter because they just put up an amazing gif of Blake Bortles' Mortal Kombat, um, which is not something usually athletic departments do, uh, but they did, and I appreciate it as someone who enjoys Blake Bortles. Fair enough. Brian, we're going to challenge you. Say something nice about Syracuse sports. <laughs> you guys beat us in football, which I'm still not completely over. Um, that's all right. There's always another day, and as long as uh, Daryl Gross doesn't get his way, we'll be playing you guys every year. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get that. So, I mean, if you guys want to play Pittsburgh every year, that sounds like as much fun as you now. But, uh, he wants to play so Miami I, and Florida State every season. Okay. <laughs> like, I get the concept that he's going for, and I completely agree with his idea of needing to – I mean, it's pretty obvious. We the, the ACC right now doesn't make much sense. We're playing teams every six years. But, I mean, rivalry is such a big part of, of – college sports, like, why would you want to take something away as soon as we're about to get it? So while I, I definitely want to play Miami more often and Florida State plenty and everyone else as much as possible and get to those different parts of the world, like, the BC game, which is supposed to be on the Thanksgiving weekend every year, was sounded just was a great thing that, you know, this year was a really exciting game, um, and it seems like it did really gain some momentum, and trying to cut that at the legs is really dumb to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, part of the problem is everyone knows that the divisions need to be changed. The the problem is that there's no there's no easy solution, right? So, you know, even when BC joined, they kind of you can only go competitive balance or whatever they did, you know, for so long before it doesn't start to make sense. And you know, a big part of it is you know, non-ACC fans still look at the ACC and they can't figure out which teams are in which divisions. Doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, which is the which was the same for the Big Ten. They've they've kind of corrected that. So, uh, I think it's it's probably inevitable that the divisions will will change. Um, the the problem is that you need to convince the, the kind of the North Carolinas and the Virginias and the Virginia Techs that the their little coastal bubble uh, needs to be broken up, and you you need to go north and south. Um, but definitely, like I don't know what Doc Gross is thinking, like. You know, BC Syracuse end of the season is is perfect. You know, I think we got uh, a great game out of it this year, and you know, string string together a couple more of those, and and the rivalry should be should be humming again like it was, you know, towards the end of the the Big East days. Um, so I remember going to the Dome in 2003, and uh, you know, Syracuse fans giving us a hard time about uh, leaving for the ACC. So you know, it's only going to take a couple more games like that, like this past year's finale, um, to kind of really really stoke the flames and rekindle the rivalry. I definitely agree there. I think, I don't know if the condescending British woman stopped the recording or if we're still going, but I think we'll end it there. Um, this could be a great conversation for Twitter tomorrow or in the comments section on the podcast. <laughs> Whichever. But, uh, Brian, thanks again for joining us tonight. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, despite uh, the state of BC basketball. So, uh, hope, hope you had fun for the hour. I know we try to keep things loose around here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, go easy on uh, the Eagles in two weeks or eight days or whatever. If we're still undefeated, that's a deal. If not, I have no promises. <laughs> All right, have a good night, guys.
All right, take care, guys. Yeah, see you, dude. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. <laughs> 